You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Siraj Simpath, an SMB account manager at DocuSign, about prospecting for a scrappy startup. Sales is interesting because there's all different you know, flavors of selling. Like if you think about what a chef does, and I had this argument last week about sales, so it's fresh on my mind. But if you think about what a chef does, you know, conceptually, chefs cook things, right? Or they make food, I guess. That, that's probably how you can they, they make food that they think tastes good, at least, or that other people think will taste good, and they serve it to them, or they eat it, right? They make food. And it's really easy to look at sales like that too. Like, oh yeah, B2B, B2C, it's all the same stuff you're selling like conceptually. And in this argument, I was like, yeah, I like, I freaking get that. Duh, you're selling something. But tactically, it's very, very different, right? Selling a B2B enterprise solution and needing to engage half a dozen, you know, 10 people into the buying process and having a sales cycle of like 12 to 24 months is way different than selling something something super transactional like I was, like house painting services, like B2C, going door to door. Very different things. I get that conceptually you're selling, but very, very different tactics, obviously, in order to make that happen. Well, I think it's obvious. But one thing that I haven't talked about on this podcast is how to sell if you're working at a scrappy startup. See, I've mostly worked with scrappy startups here at Blissful Prospecting, most of the companies that we work with are those scrappy startups. They might be, you know, a couple hundred employees or, you know, have several million dollars in funding and all that stuff, but we don't work with the sales forces and LinkedIn's of the world. And I, I like that because they're, they got to be a little sharper. You know, they can't rely on the brand recognition and the skills have to be a little bit better that they have in place. And that's what I'm excited to talk about today is if you're working at that scrappy startup, how do you prospect? How do you compete with the sales forces and the oracles and the SAPs of the world? How do you handle those rejections? Well, I guess rejection is one of them, but objections is what, what I meant to say, but it's it's both. And before we dig into that, if you're listening to the show for the first time, my name's Jason Bay. I'm the host of Blissful Prospecting, and my goal with this podcast is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting and share proven tactics and strategies to help you set more meetings with your ideal clients. And today we're talking to Suraj Simpath, who is an SMB account manager at DocuSign. So the funny thing is when we recorded this, he didn't work at DocuSign. He had spent his previous part of his sales career working at two scrappier startups. So that's what we talked about. So it's kind of ironic now that he works at a DocuSign. But you're really going to like it. We're really going to talk about how he competed you know, on deals with like Salesforce and SAP. Uh, he talks about rejection and cold calls and really just how to make a name for yourself at a company uh, as a rep. And one really cool strategy you're going to like that he shares is how to talk to an executive assistant to get an introduction to a decision maker. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, before we get into the interview here, I have one quick announcement. Uh, this upcoming Thursday, normally we're doing two episodes a week. I'm going to have a short update and a tip that I'll share. And then I'm going to move to one episode per week because we have this summer virtual tour going on right now. And if you haven't checked it out, it's going to be the best virtual series out there on prospecting. We have 42 speakers, um, really, really great folks, but it's free. It's starting uh, today. Actually, if you're listening to this on a, on Tuesday, uh, June 23rd, it's starting today with Art Sobchak. 
uh, from smart calling. So I'm super excited for that, but it's free. It's live. It's all about prospecting. We're talking cold calls, cold emailing, LinkedIn, personal branding. And you can check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And let's get into the interview. So in doing research on you, I noticed that you went to UC Irvine. I did. Yeah. So I yeah. live down in, but you're from Fremont, I think you said, right? So you were living I'm in North Carolina. And did you just, did yep. you just go down to uh, Orange County just for college? Uh, yeah. So it was, um, it was interesting. I mean, also go anteaters. Uh, don't say that <laughs> enough, but I'm going to. Um, but yeah, I went to UC Irvine. Um, it was interesting just because I started off as a biomedical engineer and then uh, I ended up, that was my major. And then my minor was public health. I actually ended up switching them. So my major became public health and my minor became biomedical engineering. Um, there was a, there's a lot of backstory there, but I think what's more interesting was that um, in doing that, I actually got the chance to see a lot of things that I didn't like doing, but I could do. So for example, I had the chance to work at a research lab. And I kind of realized immediately that I don't ever want to go into graduate school. Um, but it was at least for engineering at that time. But it was it was a good experience because I think one thing that you take away from engineering that really applies to sales is your you have to be innately curious. I think being able to not just look at a problem, but really ask the question, right? And I think that's also something that you learn in public health where, you know, you learn there's the difference between like the symptoms and the cause. And a lot of times, if you're only helping treat the symptom, you're not really dealing with the actual challenge or the problem. And I think there's a lot of parallels to that with sales, just because if, if you think about it, if you're only dealing with a lot of the frontline problems that are there, um, you're not really adding value to people. You're not really helping them change things and, you know, fundamentally, you're not really differentiating yourself, right? So it's when you can really understand what's driving a business to change or what their pain points are, I think you do a lot better at connecting with them and uh, building those relationships. So um, basically at UC Irvine, and sorry, that, that was a segue, but uh, one thing at UC Irvine that was interesting was just because um, I wasn't really the best engineer. I had a great rewarding experience working with nonprofits, but I didn't really think that was what I wanted to do. Um, I had the chance to work in an HR related role, realized that wasn't it. Had the chance to work as an IT consultant, realized that wasn't it. Um, tried my hand at recruiting, realized that wasn't it. And I kind of you know, in a sense, sort of eliminated a lot of things that I didn't like doing, which was a good thing. But I think going through all those experiences, um, you know, going through what I did actually in a fraternity was, I thought, actually a really good way to learn how to build rapport with a lot of different types of people fast. And I think that actually really helped as far as, you know, building some of this, building some of my soft skills for making that jump into sales. Um, but yeah, that, that's a bit of my backstory as far as going yeah. to UC Irvine and, you know, my, my background and all that. Dude, I love this. The, the reason why I asked about UC Irvine is it looks like we were living in the orange County around the same time. I was there from around 2010 to 2013, uh, for, no for a job that I had down there, uh, definitely missed the sunshine there. 
I don't miss the cost of living, dude. You're in a place right now that's also not cheap in, in NorCal. But um, yeah. okay, there's so many things you mentioned there that I think we could take this conversation and I think the sure. really the obvious one is this engineering. So you talked about some of the parallels, but let's talk about like, how did you get into sales? So you tried a bunch of stuff that you didn't like. How did you hear about yeah. sales? And if you don't mind sharing, you know, one of the things that you talked about in your LinkedIn was that you're going to be the first non-engineer in your family for nearly a century. So this is not something it sounds like that you heard talked about in a positive way, at least <laughs> around the dinner table growing up. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not, not really. I mean, if you, you know, if, if <laughs> uh, dinner table conversations about sales, um, there's a lot of stories there, but uh, basically what kind of happened was, um, you know, I, I was fortunate where, uh, the fraternity that I was in, um, I got the chance to really meet a lot of people within that network that actually had very successful careers in sales. Oh wow! And they had—they all came from like different backgrounds, right? They were, you know, they were political science, you know, sometimes systems engineering, sometimes history, sometimes English, and you know, I noticed I was just—I was kind of curious. I was just like, why is it that so many of you guys went to sales? Um, and then also it's like, how come there's not really like a consistent, like, there's no, like, you would think that it would just be people that study business go into sales, at least from the people that I'd met. But in reality is really the opposite where I was just felt like there was no business majors that went into sales. Um, so I had the chance to really like network and reach out. Like I, I was a really early adopter of LinkedIn. Um, I, I started using LinkedIn and I want to say like 2012, um, wow. and I was, I was, I was big on that. I, I just felt like it was a great way to meet people, talk to others and stuff. And then when I was talking to people, they were just saying, Hey, you really gotta, you really gotta look at what sales is like, you, this is why I like it. This is what I've been able to do. You know, this is what the job's like. And so after I graduated, what happened was, um, I still remember it was, uh, June, 2014, I had graduated. I had just moved back home and I had no game plan as to what I wanted to do. And it was really interesting just because I was basically trying to interview nonstop with um, sales companies and, or, you know, with uh, sales roles at tech companies. And what I was actually doing was I was, I was basically leveraging that network I had within the fraternity to ask for introductions into companies. So I'd ask him, hey, do you mind giving me a referral into here? Um, basically, look, like I have no experience, but I do have a story. I do have a strong work ethic, and this is what I can do. And so what would really happen was that, you know, I would meet people during these interviews. And the first the first couple of interviews were rough um, just because it was they're just like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, why do you have this background? I, I had one person literally tell me I was too technical for a role. Um, and I think that at that point was just, I was just shocked. I was just like, well, wouldn't you want someone who's technical that understands your product? And so it eventually, you know, it got to a point where I finally got really good at interviewing and it was just, I started understanding what they wanted to hear. Um, and I, I started understanding how to tell my story a lot better, right? Like, you know, I could talk about activity metrics. I could talk about, you know, resilience. I could talk about connecting to people of different backgrounds. Um, and I started also coming in with a lot more pointed questions. 
And I think that was kind of the way in which I really got through. Um, I finally got to a point where I had three offers and I chose a company called Aptis just because they had a training program back then mm-hmm. um, where they basically took new graduates and then gave them about like a three month boot camp. And then they trained people. And I thought the boot camp was actually pretty good. Um, you know, it gave me a really good exposure to a lot of other people starting out in their career. Um, I think it was a lot of great product training. But it was interesting because we had a lot of this great training, but then when we made the jump into cold calling and such, where we didn't have any training, that was where things kind of, that was like the rubber hit the road moment. And that was where things got really interesting. Those first three, four months of cold calling where you had no idea what to do were rough. Um, but it was also really fun just because it was, it was, it was kind of like a giant experiment in its own way. Right. It's, like your first time getting hung up on, your first time getting cussed yeah. out, your first time, you know, your first time having someone no show you and you start picking up things from there. Um, but Aptis was also really great because as for first experience, because um, it, I think in a lot of ways, I'm happy I started off at a scrappier startup than a larger company, just because you really had to fight for every inch you had, you were, you were competing with these bigger guys, right? It was, whether it was Salesforce, whether it was Oracle, you know, whether it's SAP, you had to, you had to make a case to go against them. And with Aptis, what was really cool was uh, we had the chance to really, you know, understand like a lot of different pockets of the business, right? So it was like, you know, with Aptis, I was understanding things about pricing. I was talking to people about contract management. I was, I was trying to understand things from a revenue side, right? And it was good because it gives you like exposure to all of these different angles and you kind of see how you haven't, you kind of have a perspective of how like a business works. And I think you actually pick up a lot of your acumen from that experience. So it was, I thought that was a, I thought that was a pretty cool experience um, starting off, you know, let's uh, let's dig into that. It, by the way, the fact yeah. that they actually have a sales academy and a boot camp is so rare. <laughs> Most yeah, of it's just you wing it, right? You do two two days of product training, and the most of the training is on the job. Which which I'm a, obviously a, I'm a fan of on the job training. There that needs to be a part of it, not ninety percent right. of it. But, yeah. Um, so you talked about cold calling, and this is yeah. you know before we talked about I think a really good theme because you've worked at these really scrappy startups and you had to compete against really yeah. big companies. What was that like from a cold calling standpoint? What were you thinking about? You know, when people were like, oh, yeah, we're good. We're using Salesforce or we're good. We're using insert Fortune 500, you know, logo. <laughs> like, we're good. How, how would you guys approach handling stuff like that? I think at that point, um, I was just so, it was, you know, it's interesting. And I think about like what was driving me back then. I just wanted to keep my job. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really care about the rejection. And if anything, if I got, so what was really interesting is that when I started off at Aptis, uh, we were hand dialing, man. So we didn't have like dialing automation yet. I've been there. And all that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, and it obviously got a lot better, but you know, you're, you're literally typing in numbers, right. And you got to stay focused and all that. Um, and I think if I look back at it, uh, 
Yeah, I, I didn't really mind the rejection partially because I was just so scared of like losing my job as a new graduate. So I was just, mm-hmm. I was so afraid of failure that I was just really like driven to succeed. And then when I got over that first hump, which was, okay, now I can do this job. I think the second pump into that was how do I compete with everybody? You know, it's like, how do I make a name for myself? Because that when I was at Aptis, they had a, uh, the sales Academy. Um, there was about 90 BDRs worldwide. It was huge. Right. And so you were always trying to figure out how do I get to the top of the leaderboards? Like, what do I do? Like, how do I cold call more or, you know, what I do to bring in the biggest deal. And it was really just, I mean, you, there were, the thing was, is that there were always going to be people that were smarter than you, or there might be people that can work harder than you. I think where you win is, um, by getting consistent, right? You, you have to think smarter, you have to work hard, but you have to put in those efforts. You have to put in that effort consistently. And that's how you really, um, that's how you succeed. It's not just hard work. It's consistent hard work that has a lot of thought and effort behind it. Um, but as far as the rejection part, I mean, at that point I was 22 years, I was 22 years old. I didn't, I, I mean, if I, if I had someone tell me no, what was the worst that was going to happen? I mean, up till that point in my life, I had, I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't really have an income. So, you know, if, I lost that person, but I still had the opportunity to work and earn something. Then mm-hmm. that's all I cared about, um, which is very different from how I think now. <laughs> yeah. How did you approach uh, more tactically the conversation knowing that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, it sounds like there were already market leaders in place. Yeah. They, the prospects you were calling on, they were already using. How do you tactically, you know, I guess, think about positioning? And mm-hmm. like, how do you talk to that? I'm sure it came up, right? When you were prospecting that people said they were already using a solution um, mm-hmm. or that they didn't want to do an appointment with your AE because they're good mm-hmm. to go. Like how tactically did you guys talk about handling that? And what were some of the things? Cause you did really well um, at that job from what it looks like on, on LinkedIn to really crush yeah. your quota there. So um, what, what were you doing, man? And then, um, yeah, like I said, more, a little more tactically, how did you handle that? Cause that's the biggest thing that sticks out to me about, your last couple jobs, especially as the type of companies that you guys are competing against. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a good point. Um, and thank you. I, uh, I think with Aptis, it was more like, so the, what was nice about Aptis was because they sold a suite of products. Mm-hmm. You would realize that if someone didn't necessarily have a problem on say, so the thing about Aptis was that they sold, um, uh, they sold quote to cash solutions. And what that is, is, automating the quoting, uh, pricing, approval process, tying that to some of your contracts, ensuring that your contracts are in compliance and that your, um, your counsel can you know, sleep safely just knowing that what's being negotiated is actually what's reflected on those contracts and then essentially tying that to an invoice so that that entire process between your CRM and your ERP is centralized in one place. Um, and so the the big thing is that um, they might you might realize that a company has a problem on the quoting side, but they have really inflexible general counsels, right? So what you would have to do is that you know what? Okay, the general counsel hates you. The lawyers there are just absolute douchebags. Um, 
You know what you do? You go to the sales operations. You talk to sales leaders. You talk to pricing. Um, and you ask them what their process is like. And if you discover a few nuggets there, well, what you do is you basically talk to them. You, you show them what Aptis can do as a whole. And then you ask them, hey, uh, we know that this process affects everything downstream. So, you know, your contracts, your invoicing, are there people on that side of the house that you would like to have see or be included on this demonstration? And it turns out the answer was almost always yes, because they'd be like, yeah, uh, we would like so-and-so to be involved. A lot of times so-and-so was actually the person who told you to screw off. Um, and so it was kind of like sort of using that to your advantage, right? So you might find somebody that doesn't see things the way you see it can add value or it can help them out. But that doesn't mean that the problem doesn't exist. And that doesn't mean that there are other pro people in that company that don't think that problem exists, right? It's all about, sometimes it really isn't the right person, but I think it doesn't mean that pain isn't there. Interesting, because this is a common challenge that I hear and see with companies that do sell more of these enterprise type solutions mm -hmm. where there's like 20 different products. And it sounds like what you're saying is if you got multiple products, like think about all of the different areas, all the units in the business that it affects. And just because you got to mm -hmm. know from, from someone doesn't mean that you can't work your way back in by finding how mm -hmm. it affects someone else. Did you guys, yeah. like, was this something that you mapped out prior to prospecting into this account or do you just kind of wing it and start talking to people? What's the, what's the approach? I wish it was something I mapped out. It was just something I started learning. <laughs> uh, so they didn't really give you any noticing. direction on, on multi-threading or, or who to approach. It was more just like, hey, here are the people. Good luck, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Start picking Basically. up the phone. <laughs> well, they would tell us what personas and it would tell yeah. us the pains, but the, the, the little pockets in between, right, which is that valuable, hey, like you can technically use this person and leverage that person to get a hold of this person. That was just something you kind of figured out. And looking back at it, um, I, I'm, I'm even wondering if that was something I consciously did or if that was just something I just started doing. But like looking back at it, I, I, can, I can say that's how I was sort of approaching it. Um, and it was the same at ThoughtSpot too, where you know, one person might say that there's no like analytics challenge or there's no data challenge. But that doesn't mean that everybody else thinks the same. It's it's really about finding that right person, right? And like asking around. And that and that's why I think like understanding your understanding the business is so important. Because if you can understand their pain points, if you can understand how they sell, why they sell things, it's it's just super it's just super helpful when you start reaching out and messaging them. Um, and you start giving them reasons as to why they should engage with you. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from the, just to kind of go back to what I asked earlier around the computer, yeah. is that you're not really thinking about the fact that they're already using a solution from a mm -hmm. competitor that's more established, let's say, because they've been doing it longer or they're much larger. It seems like the focus is don't really think about that. Just focus on the problems and be narrow with the problems and talk to a bunch of different people at the company and mm -hmm. the competitor stuff. Is it more maybe in your head? you think when people are prospecting, then it is whether or not the prospect will actually take a meeting with you? I think it's a bit of both, man. I mean, I yeah. mean, 
part part of it is that yeah we do get in our own heads we're just like they're never going to take a meeting right yeah but sometimes yeah this person really is never going to take a meeting it does not matter what you do mm-hmm. they will i i and it's just you know you just it that's just sales you just got to go through with it um but yeah i think to your point that that's that's actually an accurate statement you don't it you probably there's a chance that you know that they have an existing technology solution, but because they have that technology solution, the way I always looked at it is they probably have these problems because you know for a fact that what you're selling solves these problems better than what anyone else is doing in the market. And so because they have those problems, you kind of again, it gives you the confidence to go out and reach, reach out to them. Um, and that, that was always like the way I thought about it. Yeah. Interesting. The competition, because I deal with this a lot being a sales trainer. I mean, our space is very crowded depending on the industries Mm -hmm. that we go after, but it's, everyone does it differently, you know? And if you just focus on the problem, that stuff usually rarely comes up, you know, when you focus on the Mm -hmm. problem. So I want to get a little more tactical here in one area around, like if you're multi-threading and you're reaching out to multiple people, did you ever get people to help you find out who the right person was or get an <laughs> intro or anything like that? Do you have any tips or tactics you can share around that kind of approach? Yeah. So um, there's a guy I used to work with. His name is uh, Tarab. Um, I think his last name was Aria. I'm trying to remember. Um, and Tarab was the first person I saw that kind of really did this approach where he would purposely call uh, the highest level person so that he could get a hold of their EAs. Right. Mm. And the reason why he did that was so that he could get an understanding as to who might be the right person or that he would have a referral saying that, Hey, um, I got referred to you from the office of so-and-so blah, blah, blah said you might be interested or you would be the right person to be talking to about this. And I think that was the first time I saw like, an example of someone like leveraging within the company to do that. I think, um, you know, there was that I saw, uh, as far as, you know, getting referrals, I I started realizing that sometimes it was probably because sometimes what's, what's interesting is that, um, you might have a person with that perfect title, right? The, like they might be like, you know, the chief strategy officer, chief analytics officer, chief, you know, CIO, um, you know, head of sales operations, you know, chief revenue officer, they might have the perfect title. Their description might even fit what you're trying to do perfectly. But the person who actually cares about that problem the most might actually be somebody else. And a lot of times people in the C-suite, they don't really have the time or the capacity to take charge of an initiative. So when you can um, you know, when you can kind of get a hold of people around the C-suite or even someone like the EA to sort of tell you who you should be talking to, I think that might, act, I think sometimes that's actually better. Or even if you do get a hold of someone in the C-suite and just asking them, hey, um, I know you're busy and this is why I think you should take a meeting, but is there anyone else that you think might be interested or is there anyone that you can refer me to something along those lines, right? Where they might actually send you to the owner of that problem. And it's a lot easier to just, you know, talk to them and figure out if this is something that's viable uh, for the organization you're reaching out to. 
Yeah, this is such a good point because you hear a lot of, oh, go top down. And top down is like, hey, yeah, ideally you want a meeting with the C-suite <laughs> or mm-hmm. a VP, but that's not always, especially with enterprise, usually how people get their foot in the door. It's usually not that easy. Yeah. And especially now, um, what would, like if you were calling uh, like an EA, do you have kind of generically, like what would what would they ask sound like? Like what would what would the call even sound like? Because I think this is a challenge that some people have with like, how do I actually get someone to help me when they don't even know who the heck I am? And they probably get drilled dozens of times a day, yeah. old calls from people asking them to help. Like what does it just sort of generally even sound like if you got someone like that on the phone? Oh, good question. Um, it'd probably be something like, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, X, I... The reason for my call and shout out to John Barrows is, um, you know, honestly, I love that intro, but the reason for my call is I noticed that so-and-so had a press release or your company's just had an earnings report or your competitors are doing X, Y, and Z. Um, and I'm reaching out because we're working with companies like this, 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 I think so-and-so could really benefit from this because of us being able to make their life easier with this way. Um, Is there any way I could talk to them? 95% of the time, they're going to be like, oh, so-and-so is in a meeting. Every now and then, they'll just be like, yeah, sure, let me transfer you. Um, And those will always always catch you off guard. You you never expect those. But 95% of the time, they'll say, hey, um, I'm in a meeting right now. Can you send me an email? Can you do this for me? Um, I'm like, sure. And then I think what I would ask then is, is there anything that I could say in my email to make sure that I could stand out or that I'm specific? Because I know so-and-so gets a lot of these messages every day. Is there anything that you prefer? And that kind of makes them pause and it sort of makes them think, okay, um, yeah, so maybe incorporate this or maybe include that. Because I mean, people, a lot of times people are just going to be nice and they'll just say, hey, send us some information, send us something. But if you kind of, take an extra step and you just ask them, is there anything else I can do to make sure that so-and-so reads it? I think that's going to stand out. And I I think a lot of times when you um, have that discussion with people and you're just upfront about who you are, it, it allows you to, it allows you to get to where you want a lot faster. Now, that being said, there are a lot of EAs that are just quite frankly impossible to deal with. And it's, it's interesting because their bosses are actually easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're never going to get through to those EAs. It's just going to be ridiculous. But I, I want to say that a lot of them, a lot of EAs are pro- are just as knowledgeable or more knowledgeable about the business itself. And they can actually be a huge asset to you or they can be a huge asset for you getting to who you need to get to. Yeah. It's this whole gatekeeper talk, right? And it's, mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you need to get past. And and uh, in most cases, I, especially when you're selling to mid-market you know, enterprise, that kind of stuff, it's you need to work with them. You're going to have to deal with mm-hmm. them at some point. <laughs> Why not do yeah. it right at the beginning and see if they're willing to help? And Exactly. So the structure is, it sounds like very similar to how um, you would do a cold call, the reason for my call. Uh, I think you'd mm-hmm. benefit for this reason. Call to action. Can I talk to this person? And I love that little extra bit that you ask around, what could I do that would stick out? Is there anything else you can share around? So if they're like, hey, send an email and they're like, yeah, one thing you could do to stick out would be extremely brief. 
you know, like what yeah. if they say that? So is there any tips you would have like with what to even include in that email? Um, cause sometimes I see people attach like a freaking 20 page brochure and I'm like, dude, I, I that doesn't seem like a very good idea. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> Don't do that. uh, like what, what do what do you recommend goes in that email? Um, okay. So it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's super simple, but I kind of follow this methodology. I want something that I can scroll through in about four seconds on my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is these execs are probably going from meeting to meeting. Um, I don't even want to know how many of my meeting requests have been accepted because an exec was just in the bathroom and they just happened to read my email and they're just like, Oh, this actually sounds good. Let's take yeah. a meeting. And, <laughs> um, but I think making it easy to consume, that's the big thing, right? It's just like, look, this is why I'm reaching out to you. These are some of the value points. This is my proposed course of action. Can we do something around that? Mm-hmm. And making it so that if, if you have to scroll on your cell phone to read your message, that, that message is not being read. Yep. Um, and you want to make it so that it doesn't hurt for you. It, okay, put it this way. If you, had, if you were being reached out to for the first time by someone, uh, by, and if, like the way I almost kind of look at it is, like, let's say if I was reaching out to Surridge when he knew nothing about ThoughtSpot and I was trying to catch his attention, what would I want to tell him? Like, what would make him want to read it, right? And how can you do it in such a way where it's not like just, uh, like I, I have to consume all this info, like be direct, be to the point and just be concise. Yeah, no, simple, but good advice, man. I think we can overcomplicate it and really think about yeah. how we need to put all of this extra stuff in there to impress this person when they have no idea, <laughs> you know, who you yeah. are or anything like that. Exactly. It's, and I'm just, and I'm just saying, it's like, I think our attention spans are a lot shorter these days. So don't, don't give people things that um, go against the nature of, you know, what's being consumed today. Right. You know, I, I think like in sales right now, or the, the BD role, especially what you are doing and what you're becoming a master of is not necessarily selling, but capturing people's attention for a set amount of time and then doing that consistently. That is what you are doing. You, the currency you are trading for is time and attention, you know, and when you have, when you're, when you're able to capture that, it's, that's what's more, that, I think that's, what's important. I think that's what you tend to forget sometimes. Right. Yep. Um, but that's just my perspective on that. Yeah. I love that. I mean, prospecting is, it's like these miniature hyper-personalized marketing campaigns, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. So I think it's a good segue actually into, you know, this, this thing that you've been talking about with like activity and it being deliberate. Mm-hmm. How did you balance like, did you have different types of buckets of people you were reaching out to where you spent more time on engaging a oh, yeah. level versus a manager? Like, how did you break up your activities and um, how did you segment? Because I'm sure that dictated how much effort you put into personalizing the approach too. Mm-hmm. Can you give us any insights there? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I've tried a different, few different approaches. Um, for me personally, like, 
I think one thing that really, excuse me, one thing that always helped was keeping things repeatable. So I don't have to keep understanding different talk tracks and such. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I was focusing on procurement, right, you know, sending out a procurement sequence, I would for a week or two sometimes, really my outbounding efforts would be purely around procurement. So what kind of helps in that way is I don't have to keep making that switch in my mind, right? You're not like, huh, like, how do I talk about this? What do I talk about that? These are common objections. These are terms you should be using, right? Like, if you're like, let's say for me personally, if I had to switch between uh, procurement, marketing, HR, and sales, that's four different sets of business outcomes I have to be thinking about, right? That's four different personas. That's four different types of people, right? And that is really hard for anyone to do. So, and, and one other thing I would also say is notice, like I'm saying outbounding, right? Your MQLs or, you know, whatever's coming in inbound or, you know, people that you've gotten referrals to or, you know, disqualified opportunities from the past, that's different. But if we're talking purely outbound um, and keeping your attention there, keep it simple for yourself. Stick to one persona and only go after those personas for a week or a day, whatever works for you. But do that because it's just going to make it a lot easier for you to go out there and prospect. And it's a lot less decisions that you have to make internally, right? You don't want to go through decision fatigue while you're reaching out to all these people. I love it, man. That's segmentation. You know, it's so important because you start to pick up on those little things like you're seeing around the language. And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming when you were prospecting, all four of those personas talk about their problems in different ways and have vocabulary around it. And you got to talk in their language to really stick out and empathize with them. Okay. So we segment by personas and sound like you would pick and, you know, by the week almost, or I'm going to focus on this for the next week or or the week after. Is there anything else that you use to determine like how much research you would put into the approach or how much you would personalize the approach. And, and maybe we need to step back a little bit too. And maybe you do the research just mm-hmm. on the account first and then you figure mm-hmm. out, but like, what does that process look like for researching and figuring out like how much time do you want to invest in like personalizing the approach for the people that you're reaching out to? Yeah. Um, so I, I think what that kind of goes into is, so the way I, I the way I would almost look at that is it depends on what stage of building pipeline you're at, mm-hmm. and you know it's like what type of territory you have, right? So when you when you ask that question, what I'm thinking about is let's say I have like ten accounts total, right? And that's all I have, or maybe it's twenty accounts. If that's the case, I'm probably building out like individual sequences for each account. And I'm just kind of going after them, right? I'm just trying to say, hey, these are things that I've noticed, yada, yada, like, this is why I think we should talk and then go after that. If I have a whole lot of accounts, right, and I'm still trying to narrow down and figure out who I should be going after, what I'm probably going to be doing is sending out like a blast to a specific persona, but with, you know, a bit more specific language around what I want to do. And then really following up on clicks, uh, following up on where there's the most activity as far as opens. And really going after those people hard because it might be that, hey, you know, there's something about what you're saying that resonates more with them. And those are probably people you should be trying to like get into the funnel a lot faster than everybody else. It's just if your messages aren't going through or it's not resonating or if people are just telling you to screw off, then, 
you know, you probably don't want to like, you know, focus on that. So I I think what it, uh, that's how I would almost phrase the, uh, the way I would go after accounts. So it's almost like this for lack of a better analogy, like a carpet bombing approach where let's just get some sequences going and see who starts raising their hand, who's opening my emails, who's clicking on stuff. And then you start to pick up patterns between, oh, these particular personas seem to be really receptive for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Let me focus extra effort on them. And, and when you say really go after, is, are you implying that like phone and picking up the phone and like really starting to go after more like different types of people at those companies or? Um, yeah, so it is what I would almost, um, how do I say it? Yeah. Like what, what I would say is that if I'm going after a specific persona and let's say I've noticed that like the SVP of procurement at this persona is really opening things up, right? There might be something in that company's procurement department that warrants taking a second look. So if I'm, if I'm noticing, if I'm noticing clicks or activities there, what I want to start doing is maybe mapping out that specific org and start going after people um, start going after people there and start reaching out to them. So that's what I would do. Um, I think the other thing is kind of also figuring out realistically, which companies you think could actually buy your solution. Um, (laughs) me personally, like when, when I'm selling, when I'm selling software, I, it, like the way companies act, they don't want to purchase anything unless it's giving them or at least a three X return or at least a five X return. Right. Mm-hmm. So you really got to figure out which of these companies do you think you can attach yourself to a bigger problem? Like it might be that you have VPs of procurement that, um, I mean, that are at companies that probably you can't attach yourself to like it. I mean, it sucks. And I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't have that conversation, but it's also kind of something to think about as you're building your pipeline, right? It's just, is this an account you want to keep pushing into, or is this an account where you just want to disqualify as fast as possible? So that's, that's also another thing you're looking at when you're, when you're reaching out. So what are some of the things that you'd be looking for to figure out if you can attach to a bigger problem? Is this, I'm assuming research you're doing, this is not, or is this a part of like actually talking to the people to figure this out? Or is this stuff you're observing just in your research on their website and their reports and their LinkedIn and any other triggers and stuff like that that you can find? I think that's something I noticed more so after that first call or so that I, yeah. I think that's, and I think that is a little unfair to sort of put that expectation, you know, before you even get a hold of them. But, um, you know, a thought spot, like, one thing I was, we were always looking for is the three biggest indicators for buying was, does your, is there a way in which ThoughtSpot can help you increase revenue? Is there a way in which we can help you decrease costs? And is there a way we can, or is there a way where we can help you reduce risk exposure? Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can't find what that is, you're probably not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it makes a so presenting a business case really, really hard if you can't attach to any of those things. Cause then you're just a nice to have, cause those are the three big problems that yeah. businesses have. They want more revenue, they want more profit, or they want to reduce the risk. Like you were saying. Exactly. 
So it's always kind of looking at that. But I think that also ties down to understand what those businesses are doing. And if you're starting to notice traction in an account, try to understand like how do some of your customer cases map to their, you know, some of the challenges they might be facing, right? And figure out how to really bridge the gap between the two. Got it. So one of the things I want to see if we can dig a hundred foot hole with here is you talk a lot about understanding the business. What's the pre-call research look like before you even call someone at an account? What kind of research are you doing on that person or the company? What does that look like? Uh, I want to look at products they're selling, how they're selling, um, you know, any recent news. So updates, whether they've purchased software, um, whether they've, uh, you know, whether there's some sort of like, whether there's some sort of news about like, Hey, we, we have an announcement about this upcoming release or, you know, there's some sort of industry trend. Um, I would also look at discover.org if, if you had access to it. I think it would, uh, as far as like whatever company you're selling at, I think discover.org is a good way to see what the existing tool stack is like. Um, because sometimes if, like, sometimes if people haven't invested in all in an existing tool stack, uh, that could be a danger sign in the sense that they might not be ready for what you're selling. Um, and sometimes if they've purchased, you know, uh, too much of an existing tool stack like or have recently purchased another tool stack it might not be the best time to reach out to them so having those kind of in the back of my mind and then just kind of going after the account that was that was basic those were some of the areas that i would look at so it sounds like a lot of it was around tooling and if which is really sort of counterintuitive so if they don't have a tool there might be a reason for that. <laughs> They're not yeah. bought into using a tool. They can't afford it. <laughs> the timing's not right, whatever. Versus, hey, if they've had a tool and it sounds like your sweet spot is they've had it for a while um, and it wasn't something they just purchased and they're a month into a you know multi-year contract or something like that, that those conversations are are a little bit easier. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's like a lot of like nuances and such. And obviously it depends on what you're selling too, right? Um, but it, it's just kind of looking for those things, you know, what they've bought, you know, what they're, you know, what they're probably releasing from a product standpoint, you know, how they're doing as far as sales. And I think those are all things that you can use as ammo to really like build rapport with the people you're trying to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Is there one more tip or hack that you can share with us on the research process? in general, whether that's something that you're looking for or a way that you stay productive, you know, so it doesn't take up too much time or workflow or anything like that? Um, yeah, I would on LinkedIn, uh, when you start searching for people, look for people that have recently posted or there's been a recent article update about them. And the reason I say that is just because that probably means that they care more about using LinkedIn as a medium to how they communicate with the world. Or this person is doing really well in their career and, you know, they're doing well enough where there's actually updates in the news about what they do. And I think that's something that can really help, you know, always when you're on LinkedIn, always look for people that follow your company. There might be, there might be people that are aware of your org that you didn't even know were. And that, that's always a really good conversation starter. Awesome, man. Cool. Sweet. Well, this has been really great. We're about out of time here. Is there 
any other last sort of words of wisdom or anything else that you've learned over you know, the last looks like five or six years that you've been doing this? Um, make sure to laugh and have fun with it. Cause yep. as intense as it is, sometimes it, it is, it's crazy and it's ridiculous. And it, it having a sense of humor is going to help you get through a lot of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, because it is a grind, but I think enjoying it and being able to laugh about it does make it a lot easier to get, uh, doesn't make it a lot easier to succeed in it. Oh, perfect, man. Uh, before you take off, is there a place where you want people to go to connect with you like LinkedIn or anything like that? Yeah, no, uh, please look me up at LinkedIn. I, uh, my, my name is Suraj, uh, Sampath, S-U-R-A-J, last name Sampath or Sampath, S-A-M-P-A-T-H. And, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me there. Boom. Another one of the books. I really enjoyed this interview and my favorite tip was talking to EAs, right? The reason for my call is that I noticed insert your trigger and we're working with companies like ABC. So talking about companies that are similar to theirs, I think insert decision maker could really benefit from this because of making their life easier in blank way, right? Sharing a problem, a value prop, something that you can do to help them. I think the more that we can humanize the executive assistant and actually call them an assistant versus an gatekeeper. So Art Sobchak from Smart Calling, he's really big on that, right? Call them an assistant, not a gatekeeper. They are humans. The more that we can do that and actually get them to help us, oftentimes the quicker the prospecting process is. And this is someone that we're going to have to go through um, or work with, excuse me, um, at some point. So why not do that at the very beginning? So love that tip. One thing before you take off, got a quick favor. Reviews on iTunes really help the show grow so we can continue pumping these episodes out and also uh, getting great guests on. And if you wouldn't mind doing that on iTunes, just search for Blissful Prospecting on your podcast app on your iPhone or go to blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes. That'll take you directly there. I'd really appreciate a short, honest review of what you thought. And I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you and uh, we'll talk to you soon.